I want to share a story with you this morning. I'm going to read this story to you. It's in reference to John Robert Fox. I don't know if anybody's ever heard his name before. He was a soldier in the Second World War. During the Second World War, countless Allied soldiers put their lives on the line for the good of their country. Let me say this to you. If one doesn't live for something, they'll never die for anything. And the one who lives for nothing dies for nothing. What are you living for? Others simply offered themselves up in order to save comrades. But still, even in this time of true heroism, the story of John Robert Fox stands out. The artillery officer added his names to the history books and earned himself an incredible medal of honor for the sacrifice he made one December day in 1944 when he was thousands of miles from home. Now listen, he did it in one day, but what were the days prior to that building him for? Who taught him? Who trained him? Where did he have such heroic desires and willingness in his life? Fox was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, May 1915. By all accounts, he was a smart, diligent young man. He earned a place at Wilberforce University. Here he signed up for reserve officer training camp, meaning he not only had finished college with a graduate degree, but he also had the rank of a second lieutenant. When war broke out, then he took his commission and joined the 92nd. Friends, just a little truths in here. We're called to take a commission too. War has already broke out. It's a holy war all over the land, all over the face of our nation. He joined up. He took his commission and joined the 92nd Infantry Division and segregated division for African-American soldiers that fought with distinction through the conflict. You're going to notice here that even what was working against him, what was his suffering of having to live segregated, his segregation positioned him to do the great thing that he did. Your suffering can bring about his glory. With his unit, Fox was sent to the European theater of war. In 1944, he found himself fighting the Nazis in Italy. It was here where in December of that year, he was tasked to stay behind the small village of Somo Colonia in Tuscany. The village had been overrun by Nazis and Americans were in retreat. Fox found a house to hide in and from the second floor, oh, come on, somebody. Found a house to hide in, and he was on the second floor. My man is in an upper room experience. And we get invited into the house of God. Jesus said, go find a house. He said, go to that upper room and wait there for me until you're endued with power from on high. There's, there's Holy Ghost truth through all this story. He found a house. You've got to find your hiding place. You have to find your dwelling place. You have to learn to find that place to dwell in his presence. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Found a house to hide in, and from the second floor, he used his radio to contact his colleagues' communications. He called for artillery fire to be directed at the village in order to give the U.S. forces time to retreat, regroup, and then launch a counterattack. Friends, we don't retreat and never come back. We retreat and regroup, and then we counterattack. Fox even specifically ordered a barrage of fire on his exact position. Now, maybe you're not able to follow this story and not having military terms or understanding there is that he's making a radio call and he's calling for bombs to be landed in the city and a place to where the Americans can run and get away. But he also ordered for bombs and artillery to be shot exactly where he was, gave the, the coordinates for right where he was. That exact position. The gunner who received the message pointed this out to him, assuming it must be some mistake. Fox, however, simply said, fire it. There's more of them than there are us. Famous last words of a true American hero. There's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. 
Fox's act of sacrifice was not in vain. As he planned, the artillery barrage did indeed give his comrades the chance to regroup and launch a successful counterattack. Maybe I'll give it to you in a different illustration. Anybody ever played baseball? Softball? I don't know if they do it in softball as much as they do in baseball. There's a man on first. You need to get him to second. You need to advance the runner. And they give you a little signal, give you a little sign. They say, lay down a bunt. Lay down a bunt. Well, they're going to throw me out of first base. That's why it's called a sacrifice bunt. You get thrown out so he can get moved. The force is now off. There's freedom to move him around the bases to score the run. It's all about the team. He made a sacrifice. Sometimes you just have to take one for the team. Or maybe for the king. When the U.S. Army entered Sama Colonia, they found Fox's body surrounded by the bodies of around 100 Germans. It wasn't until 1997, I would venture to say that knowing the story here that uh, uh, Soldier Fox wasn't there. He's dead, remember? He's gone. Well, why didn't he get the reward earlier? Rewards come in heaven, friends. The rewards we get in this life will mean nothing compared to the rewards we get in eternal life. Amen? It wasn't until 1997 that his bravery was truly recognized. However, President Bill Clinton awarded Fox the Medal of Honor with his widow, Arlene, in picking it up. The citation noted that it was awarded for Fox's gallant and courageous actions and the supreme sacrifice of his own life. He was a true American hero who made the ultimate sacrifice. Hold your plan book up. Your playbook. Say this with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. And I can be who it says I can be. And I will be who it says I can be. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Oh, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I got to Outreach Ministries, just referring back to the inspiration early this morning, and remember that first meal. And it's the first time in 33 years it dawned on me. It's, wow, God knew not only what I didn't need, he knew what I needed. Green means life. Green brings life. It's health. And there's times in the scripture that we steer clear of the veggies. We steer clear of the things we really need. And we divert and we try to go different directions to try and find things that we like or things that we want or things that we think that we need. The other day, Gretchen and I were praying over a, 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 an issue in our life, something, a need in our life, and we're praying about it. And, and she prayed a specific prayer, and, and that prayer was answered. And it was answered in a way, and I, when I received what I needed to receive there, I looked at it and I thought, oh my goodness, this is not what I wanted. It's not what I was hoping for, but it was what I need, and it could take care of my need. He shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He did not say he'll supply all of your wants. He said, because I'm your Lord, you don't need to want. Be careful of your wants. They might disappoint your needs. They might distract you to something else. Amen. When we think about things like sacrifice, that's not, that's not the scripture we sign up for. Is to come to church saying, oh, man, I hope he preaches on sacrifice. That'd be kind of like saying, oh, man, I can't wait till pastor preaches on fasting and calls us on a 40-dayer. <laughs> that's just not our mindset, right? But we know we need those things. Some of these things will not come out unless we pray and fast, right? Unless we implement the things in our life that will denounce and destroy and, 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 and take down the unbelief in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 6. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, I really want to be more blunt. 
I, I really have a sense of me to be abrasive. He said, but I'm pleading with you, but, it, but it's, it's by the mercy and the meekness of Christ that I'm doing it. I really have some other emotions I'd like to, to, to share with you right now is what he's saying. But I submit to Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, I am bold towards you. But I beg you, let me just stop there a second. Understand, understand Paul here just a second. Maybe you could picture yourself like Gretchen and I or Pastor Frankie and I. It's so good to have Pastor Frankie home for the weekend, to have him here with us. We love you, brother, and appreciate you. But maybe he and I are having a conversation about somebody in ministry and somebody we need to minister to, or Gretchen and I, about somebody in the church or something that's going on. And, and, and I say it like this. But then when I meet with the person, I'm like, how are you? <laughs> but I beg you that when I'm present, that I may be bold in confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Friends, I, I hope, I hope that you would not walk away from here today and saying, oh my goodness, those guys are in the flesh. They're just doing it because they're a charismatic, Pentecostal, spirit-filled kind of church, and that's the way they, no, 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 no. We're, th- this was not ordered by our flesh. Amen. This is not ordered. This is by the moving of the Holy Spirit. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, quit worrying about the speck in your brother's eye when you got a plank in your own eye. But when you get the plank out, then you can help your brother. And the more change we get off, the more filth we get out, the cleaner we get, the purer we become, the more helpful we're going to be. And listen to me, things will less frustrate us. We're living in a never-ending war for our souls and the souls of our families, our community, and our generation. What's the war? The flesh? You war against your flesh every moment you wake up, every living moment, there's a battle going on there. Carnality, things going through your carnage, your, your, your earthly desires, the arguments, the arguments, opposition, people that don't agree with your view. When somebody doesn't agree with your view, you need to stop in that moment and go, I need to bring every thought into the submission, the obedience, the lordship of Jesus Christ, or I'll do no good in this situation. If you're just going to argue from your political point, you're just going to stay in the embattlement. You're going to stay in the danger zone. You need a, a, a Robert Fox in your life that will redirect the bomb so you can back up, regroup, repent, get yourself focused again so that you come back and have the proper weaponry to win the battle. Arguments will not win battles. I say it this way with evangelism. When you get out in the streets and you start evangelizing somebody in the marketplace and you start to debate, yeah. remember he made you to be fishers of men. When you debate people about the gospel, you just took the bait off the hook. Pride. Those high exalted views. Not willing to be teachable. Not willing to, to allow somebody else to be right in a moment. Knowledge, oh, the everlasting, passionate pursuit to be more knowledgeable. It's an amazing. Some people that are built with so much knowledge inside of themselves have no ounce of common sense whatsoever. I don't mean that to be offensive. Maybe corrective. He said, be careful of how you get your puffed up knowledge and think you know more than God. You've heard the story before. The scientists that got together that realized that they could make man in their own image, they could take clones and they could take stem cells, they could make man themselves, and they decided and realized we don't need God anymore. Now listen, you may not be a scientist, but the reality is we come to places in our life we don't think we need God because our field, we're professionals now. I think, I think uh, uh, Peter and James and John were professional fishermen and could probably do it in their sleep. But Jesus proved them well enough that they were, that's not what they were meant to be according to his creation. He's going to make them fishers of men. But they had a tendency to go back to what they used to do. 
And so that scientist, they got together a delegation. They said, well, we're going to send one guy up there. And they sent a guy up there. And he went up prepared. And he told God, he said, God, we, we, we uh, have come to a conclusion. We don't need you anymore. Sounds like America, doesn't it? Well, why do you not need me more? Well, we can make man in our own image. We don't need you to make man anymore. Said, well, can we just see who can make the better man? I said, sure. Told the confidence, and God said, well, according to to my uh, 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 principles that I live by and that I instruct people to live by, I'll let you go first. So the guy reached over to reach down and grab a handful of dirt and bring it up, and the Lord said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, what? He said, go get your own dirt. Let me tell you something about color of skin. Trace it. See if the soil's not a different color. You go all around the country, you can find different colors of soil. Our pigment comes from the one who created the heaven and the earth. And I got news for you. There's other places I like as much as I like Scottsboro. And I got news for you. I love you as much as I love that other one that doesn't have the same color of soil as you do. Amen? Go get your own dirt. How about the battlefield of the mind? It's a war zone. Constantly. Obedience, disobedience, right and wrong. The battlefield of right and wrong. You know if you do something right, you get blessed. You do something wrong, you get cursed. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Sounds a little bit more coarse coming from me. But the reality is, blessings for obedience, trouble for disobedience. Well, let's look at a few people in the Bible. First one I want to look at is the sinner woman. The sinner woman. You can turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. This lady was in a battle for her life. Matter of fact, she was dying. Now, the scripture per se doesn't literally tell you she's dying. How do I know she's dying? She's a sinner. For the wage of the sin is death. We have got to grasp that and understand righteousness produces life, sin produces death. That's his bottom line the way it is. Pick it up in verse 36 of Luke 7. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, speaking of Jesus. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Hey, maybe, maybe there's somebody who's going to invite you somewhere. Don't, don't come to the conclusion, well, they're not Christians, I can't go there. No, 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 you go there with Christ. You go, that could be your opportunity uh, to witness and to be a reflection of Christ. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, very interesting description. Luke is writing at a past account that he experienced. After he had been there, he's writing it. He's not writing it and say, hey, you guys go act it. It happened, and he's writing it. Notice what he said who was a sinner. He could have tied in it, but saved by grace. Something happened in this woman's life that she was no longer who she was when she came there after she left there. Something happened. You don't have to be the same person leaving here as you were coming here. You can leave here changed. You can leave here free. You can leave here delivered. who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And there's a strange uh, illustration there, uh, a depiction there, that she stood at his feet and she's weeping. After they would eat their dinner, they would lounge on their left side and kick their feet up in history, tells us. And it was able for people to come up. And this meal was out in the courtyard, which means it was not kept that anybody couldn't come in. Not that anybody and everybody was invited, but people could just kind of freely. She's watching from the outside. She's on the outside looking in. I don't know where you are right now, but I'm sure a few people showed up here this morning or maybe popped online with us, and you're on the outside of where you need to be, and you're looking in for what you desire to be. And that's where she was. And she presented herself. Listen, she's a known woman. She's known as a sinner. People look at her and and know her to not be a righteous person. Simon the Pharisee, who's also a leper, he saw her as a sinner. Recognize that. She's putting her life on the line. She's putting her identity out in front of these people for them to judge and to criticize her. 
to be critical of her. She began to wash his feet. She's weeping, washing the feet. If you take the word wash there and you tie the word weeping together in the Greek, you're going to find out she was showering him with her tears. Showering with him. I mean, it's just pouring out of his face. I'm telling you, when I hit intercession over here, I had to tap Gretchen on the foot and said, give me a Kleenex. Give me a Kleenex. It was showering from every orifice on the front of my face. I believe I was stepping into the aura, the reality of this scripture. She's broken before Jesus, pouring out all that is inside of her. And then she wiped him with the hair of her head. Can we stop there for a moment? Uh, To the woman, her hair is her glory. She's taken all of her glory, she's taken all of her emotions, all of her feelings, all of her, 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 her uh, liquids inside of her, her, pour, her hydration inside of her is pouring out on him. And then she takes her glory and starts to wipe his feet. A beautiful exchange. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. I could just imagine the crowd around her right now. What are they doing? What is she doing? That's not right. That's, what, that's kind of a custom to them, friends. Matter of fact, it was supposed to be done at the entrance of the house by the one who owned the house. His servant or himself should have washed the feet of Jesus and others who were traveling there, not just Jesus. It was a common thing to do. It's amazing how often even the common things like prayer, like Bible reading, like worship, we don't do. And we look at other people and say, well, my goodness, they're they're, they're radical and they're just, they they do too much. We're going to see how people really look at the scripture of what's too much or not enough. Did Robert Fox do too much? I'm sure there were seasons in his life, especially for his wife and especially for uh, his parents and especially for his community. He might have been. Listen, in 1900 something, a young African-American man probably most likely was one of the first people, if not the first, to not just finish elementary school, not just finish junior high, not just finish high school, but to go to college and not just graduate from college, but to be a second lieutenant. And then still they have to push him over there. Hey, God knows where to put his seed. He knows where to put his called and chosen ones. Here she is pouring out, giving out, releasing. You know, the kiss was not just a place of intimacy. It was a sign of covenant. The sign of agreement. I'm committed to this. Why his feet? She's going to the lowest place but it was still her highest view of herself. But she brought herself all the way down to his feet to say, I'm committed to your paths. I'll walk where you walk. I'll walk how you walk. I'll go the way that you go. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. You know, it's amazing that we make the big issue out of the fragrant oil. It's just symbolic, friends. It's more about the personal commitment. The oil is just what she had. And you may say, well, I don't have anything expensive. You have breath. You have time. You have life. There's a spiritual being inside of you that needs to come out of you and place yourself at the feet of Jesus. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. He spoke to himself. He he didn't say it out loud. He didn't say it to somebody else. And I I venture to say right now, many of you are speaking to yourself. Speaking to yourself during the worship time, speaking to yourself uh, during the preaching time, speaking to yourself during whatever time it may be. Speaking to yourself. What are you saying? I may not know, but obviously he knows. He knows your thoughts. So as he spoke to himself, he said as such, this man, if he were a prophet, 
would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. We know a little bit about this Pharisee. You jump over, one time he's called Pharisee, but he's called Simon. You go to another story, he's called a leper, and yet Simon. Same encounter, same thing taking place there. Isn't it amazing he knows what she is, but he doesn't know what he is? Isn't it amazing that we measure out somebody else and never measure up ourselves? Well, I'm not as bad as them. I may be a leper, but at least I'm a Pharisee. At least I'm a religious leper. I may be eaten up with sin and decaying away. I may be an outcast, but yet I still go to church. He said, this man... See, he's still trying to weigh Jesus out. He said, if he were a prophet, he invited him to his house. Why? To find out. He invited him to his house to find out. He said, if, if he were a prophet, he, he started to weigh on the balances. This guy might be a prophet. This guy literally might be not the Messiah, but at least a prophet. And I'll find out, and maybe I'll find out that he is the Messiah. So the man is somewhat intrigued, but now he's, he's bewildered. Now he's confused. He said, this man were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. We need to understand prophecy has changed. Prophecy is, is, is not here to point things out. Prophecy is here to help things out. Yes. Now, you got to get this. Prophecy is not here to say you this and 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 you're not this and you're not that. No, the prophecy is here to bring life, to exhort you, to encourage you, to edify and to comfort you, to bring you out of the mess and into his healing, his deliverance, his favor, his pleasure. It's here to help you. Amen? And Jesus answered and said to him, Thought he was talking to himself. Simon, I have something to say to you. Don't you think his knees started to get weak? Don't you think the butterflies started moving in his tummy? Don't you think that his heart and his, his blood pressure started to rise a little bit? Don't you head, think his head started swirling a bit? So he said, teacher, say it. This is a good response. Just say it. Say it like it is. Don't hold it back. Say what you have to say, not what I want you to say. And by the way, I'm teachable. I'm teachable. Teachers, say it. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Now, you may be saying, what's all the stuff about the seed and all the things about Mephibosheth and telling these stories? Jesus told stories. He gave illustrated stories. They're called parables. He gave them as illustrations and say, hey, look, this is the way it is. Now, we could do the smoke screens and we could do a drama and all these kind of things. And those have their place. But how about real life scenarios? Real life scenarios. He said there is a certain creditor who had given something, some, given somebody something, and that something should be returned, who uh, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when he had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now, notice here that he points something out. It's a measurement, but the measurement is based on love and on responsiveness. But remember what he noticed, what he said here. He made a connection when he says, they didn't have anything with which to repay. I know this, and you know this, is that I cannot pay the debt that I owe. But I also know this. I've got two pence in my pocket. But I also know this. I have a few more expected years to live. The point is this. I do have something that I can give. So he's not trying to say, you don't owe anything. It's not about owing something. There's no way you could pay it. It's just the aspect of return. Amen. It's the aspect of, of, of gratitude. It's the aspect of responsiveness. Yes. What do we have to give him? What could we give him? I'm so thankful 
that Soldier Fox, Lieutenant Fox, was willing to give his life. I wonder how many people are living today and telling stories of their grandfather or their great-grandfather and how they served in the Second World War and how they got away and how they made a counterattack and maybe don't even know who Lieutenant Fox is. Is it really about being known? Usually those who want to be known don't want to die. It was one of the Vanderbilt children. I can't remember which one, but one of the Vanderbilt children, the father had amassed a, a $150 million worth of, of business money in today's uh, uh, world. It was even way beyond that, way beyond that. And he was on a ship, and warships attacked a passenger ship. It was after the Titanic. He was a first-class passenger. That means you get the life jacket, you get the lifeboat, you get all that. Not him. He gave away his life jacket. He gave children and women his, his place and places on the lifeboats. He was putting them on there, and he died. Had accumulated all that wealth and had what the life to live, but laid it down. Sacrifice. He said, which of them will love him more? Now, he's starting to make somewhat of a parallel here. There's you and there's her. This is how you treated me or did not treat me. This is how she treats me. Now, you determine which one is displaying a greater love. And he said to him, notice here. Now, I want this to be understood. He doesn't love anybody anymore. Where you experience the more of love of God that there is for you to experience is when you love him. Simon answered, said, I suppose, same was, I guess, a pretty good guess here, but the one who he forgave more? And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this man? He said, I, I entered your house. Now he's using him as an example. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she washed my feet with her tears. You couldn't even do something on the outside for me. She did things from the inside for me. You on the outside look so good. She on the inside looks so much better. You wouldn't wash my feet. She washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. Let me just point a little point out here. One profession, one confession would not line up with Jesus in this. One kiss, she will not stop kissing me. But we keep looking for the one thing to do, and I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done, and we're checking these things off as if it's a duty to have a relationship with him. She wouldn't stop kissing me. He said, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. You, you didn't even refresh me and wash me and, and, and keep me. You know, you and I have flash waters. I remember not long ago, we went to visit some of Gretchen's family, and I grew up on the beaches of Florida and had not been around cows. I was, I was raising a crocodile on alligator farms. No, I was kidding. We're sitting around under the oak tree and having a good old country conversation. That means not saying anything. Just all just kind of looking at each other. I thought, this is different. Somebody's frying fish. Finally, someone spoke up. Roy? Yeah. How's your cows doing? Well, they're moving. I said, well, let's go see. All right. So we got and we walked towards the fence. Everybody had been given a fly swatter because an outside summer picnic, you need a flash water. So I walked up to the fence and I stood there and that flash water was in my hand and it leaned forward and it hit the top wire. Zeek! I got hit with electricity. Just want to make sure you're still with me. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loves much. 
But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Could that possibly be a measuring rod in our life of how forgiven we really are by the measure of love we display? Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Mm. Ah. They had gathered around him and wanted him to come because he healed bodies. Uh, because he could uh, uh, feed thousands. They wanted all the extremities, but they're missing the internal aspect. Is your heart right? Is your mind right? Is your soul right? Matthew 26, 6 to 13, and I'll wrap this up. Jesus at, in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman who came to him in the alabaster uh, flask, very costly, fragrant oil. She poured it on him in the head and sat at the table, and the disciples saw it. They were indignant. Oh, it's a different perspective now. The disciples are there too. Uh, don't think that just because the story is about somebody else that the story can't be about you. That's costly. Why is she spilling that and pouring that out, the fragrant oil? Jesus said to her and to them, but Jesus was aware of and he said in verse 10, why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For the pouring of this fragrant oil on my body, she did for my burial. In other words, she had some understanding. This guy is laying his life down. He doesn't have to be here right now. Well, listen, she realizes he's dealing with the religious cause and the caucus, and she realizes that he doesn't have to be here right now, but he's here for the sake of people like me. He's here not for those who have no need of a physician. He's here for the sick. She's realizing what's going on. She's doing it for his burial. She's prophetically preparing him for his burial. She's trying her best to preserve as much as Jesus as possible. Assuredly, I say to you, you remember he had something to say to Simon too. Now he's talking to his disciples. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the world, what this woman has done will be also told as a memorial to her. We have Second Lieutenant Fox. We have the sinner oh, who was a sinner woman. And she's a living memorial. What they did, the memory of what they did still lives. It still brings life. Now, I want to back up and say something. He who lives for nothing dies for nothing. But he who lives for something will die for something, will lay down his life. You know, one of my biggest concerns today is the way the nation is going, the way it's being treated, the disrespect, is that some people are going to start leaving their place of occupation and there'll be nobody replenishing the military, law enforcement, health care. There's something behind us pulling all this out, friends. There's something going on right now. And I want to say thank you to the African-American people that attend church here with us, that you've stayed with us, you're staying together. There's a, there's a reversal of segregation going on right now, trying to separate from. We need to do whatever we can to stay connected, grow better. And if I don't know you well enough, you don't know me well enough, let's get to know each other. That needs to be our philosophy of life. Spend time with one another. And listen, it doesn't just have to be the color or the pigment of our skin or the soil of our flesh that can make us at odds with one another. If we don't understand one another, let's spend time with one another. Amen? Amen. Let's get to know each other. Amen. Friends, we need people to step into the roles, Christian people who have the shield of faith, who will put their life on the line for the cause of saving many. Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, the ultimate memorial. Yeah. 
the ultimate warrior, the living memorial. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. What did that look like? Notice there, he became obedient to death. Remember what Paul said? Not until you're living in obedience can you help anybody living in disobedience. In other words, you're just yakking heads, not even talking heads. You're just yakking heads. If you and I don't have obedience in our life, we can't help people come out of disobedience in our life. Amen? So we better get things right. Because if you know well enough what Grandma said, two wrongs will never make a right. And if we're still wrong in everything and not right in something, we'll never, ever right anything. Matthew 26, 38 through 41. Then he said to them, Jesus, where is he? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with us. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I have a pretty good feeling and understanding that his death in the garden was more exasperating, difficult, hard, painful, sacrificial than his death on the cross. He was dying to those internal things, kind of like the woman was. Here's my tears. Here's my hair. Here's, I just pour out everything that I have, and the other guy over here didn't give anything. Jesus is dying in the garden. He is obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As, as if the death of the cross, symbolically, righteously, fulfillment, fulfillment of Scripture, he had to die that. But if he wouldn't have died in the garden, he would have never died on the cross. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Friends, that's a living memorial. It's a living sacrifice. While he's living, he still died. We need to learn to die before we die. You hear me? We need to bring death into our life before death comes to our life. He went a little farther. Are you willing to go a little farther? Are you willing to step out a little bit further, to go a little closer to Jesus, to maybe come out from among them? Is there anything that you're willing to walk away from? He went a little farther. And notice what he did. Then he fell to his face. I had never done this before, but I just thought about that word fell. And I thought he fell to his face. He didn't fall backwards, he fell forward. So even though he went farther, he went further. Pressing on towards the mark of the prize I call him. But to fell, there's enough people in here know this. Tom, I think we cut some trees over your house. We fell them, didn't we? Well, the tornado fell some of them. That's a term that doesn't grammatically seem to fit. But to fell means to die, to put to death. When you fell a tree, it's not living anymore. Jesus fell forward. He died a death in that garden. He was pouring out his oil. He was pouring out his worship. He was surrendering his life to God. He was living sacrificial. Now listen. The word Gethsemane means wine press. The wine is the Holy Spirit. It's an oil press, excuse me, an oil press, and the Holy Spirit is the oil, and it presses out the oil. Jesus had to be pressed out before he could pour out. But there's another meaning to the word Gethsemane. Semene, semen. I know you might think strange. To the pure, all things are pure. To the undefiled, all things are undefiled. Sometimes you just got to know where you are. Where your mind goes, that's a battlefield. But you know who Jesus was? 
the only begotten Son of God. He was the seed of God. The first fruit of heaven was first a seed. I had no knowledge they're going to talk about seeds before service. Sin tie in together by our workings, but by his. Now listen to this. Jesus taught, unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it'll produce much fruit. So in your death, you're promised life. Death works in us so that life may work in others. The death that worked in Christ is what's working life in me. Listen to me. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the suspense that God was in in that moment? This is my only begotten son. This is it. This is not the created one. This is a seed. This is my seed. I only have one seed for this garden to work. I only have one shot for this bullet to work. I only have one preached message for this thing, whatever it may be. This is it. And if he doesn't do it right, it's a lost cause. Could you imagine? We ought to be a little bit more held in suspense with every Christian act that we have. This might be the last time I found myself over a year and a half ago uh, over lamenting over a relationship with a friend, realizing the way the world was going, not out of fear, but out of reality, that I might not ever see him again, might not ever lay eyes in the flesh with him again. I had to die that death so I could live my life. Jesus fell, planted, buried in the garden. Where? The garden so that he would not have to abide alone, but he could have much fruit. Fruit goes to heaven. Amen? Fruit goes to heaven. Isn't it amazing? We're living in an age that they're, they're manipulating seed. I mean, come on. I, I mean, just for our pleasure, watermelon without seed? Hey, that might be cool at 57. That would not be cool at 7 to 10. I had two brothers. You had to have somebody to spit seed at. But what is it we think we can take the seed out of something? And then seed that cannot generate. Friends, that's, that's, that's abortion. That's false teachings. That stuff will produce nothing. There's no life in it. But life only comes forth at the act of self-denial and death. Unless a wheat kernel falls on the ground and dies. Jesus died that death, even the death of the cross. I think the most difficult thing for majority of Christians today is the concept of picking up their cross. <laughs> and you know why the cross is so difficult for us? And we don't find any joy in it? He endured the cross for the joy set before him. It's because we haven't died the deaths we need to die to get there. But Jesus said, listen to me, friends. If is right in the middle of life. If. Life is in the seed. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, he must, no exceptions, deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Lord, if it be possible, if it be possible, he said, but nevertheless, listen, with God, all things are possible. But nevertheless is our choice. We have a translation for the word nevertheless around here. Always the more. Always the more. The more of what? The more of me. Jesus said, could you guys not watch with me? He, he stopped. You can get the band can come up. He, he stopped. And he said, oh, my goodness. He came back and he said, you're sleeping. This isn't, this isn't trial one. This isn't phase one. Since you're sleeping. I believe you had three, three prayers there. And I don't have time to go into all this. One for the flesh, one for the soul, one for the, uh, uh, for the, for the, uh, the spirit. All three facets of him. Yeah. Truly believe that. But he found him sleeping. Unaware. He said, you need to watch and pray with me. For just an hour, 
just an hour. He said, for the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. I would venture to say that every one of us inside of here in our spirit was saying, yes, I will follow you. Yes, I want to. But our flesh deceives us. Friends, this is just gospel. How do you live as you stand your feet? How do you live a living memorial? How you live now will determine the more memorial you'll have then. Think about that. How you live now. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Listen to me, friends. If you have trouble with little hands, what you touch. If you have trouble with little feet, where you go. The safest, best place you can be is on the cross. Because on the cross, hands don't work, feet don't go. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives for me, lives through me. In the life is I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to tell you what's inside of you. Greater is he that is inside of you than he or anything that's in this world. I want you to know something. There's greatness, the same greatness that Robert Fox, the Vanderbilt, Jesus Christ lived. That greatness is inside of you too. Greater things are yet to be done. Greater things are still to be done in this city, in our friends, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. Listen to me. I would love to tell you it's going to come in like a mighty rushing wind. I'd love to tell you. But listen, don't you think they were planted there for 10 days? And only the seeds that remain that blossomed? There's got to be a death. Do not be afraid of spiritual death. Embrace it. Embrace it. Be obedient to it. I don't know what the Lord's asking you or what he's going to ask of you. I'm just saying surrender. Amen.